I had to get to like a breaking point, honestly, like I ended up getting, you know, burned out and then depressed and I was, you know, on antidepressants and, you know, uh, you know, seeing a therapist and having a coach and I ended up getting diagnosed with Graves disease. Like I really kind of hit rock bottom and like was really struggling with depression and anxiety, which can often come on the other side of burnout before, like, you know, I like had this giant sign in my face, like, Hey, you got to fix this. There's a problem. And, uh, and so I was like, Oh, I guess I need to, uh, you know, maybe cut back a little bit or out, you know? So, um, it was a pretty profound, uh, yeah, I had a panic attack on a golf course. And so, of, of all places. And so, uh, so, so yeah. So like for people that are listening and they're like, man, like entrepreneurship's really burning me out. I would tell you that that like, just to normalize that for people, that's normal. Um, that you, you can absolutely push yourself too far when it comes to entrepreneurship and, uh, you got to find that balance. Hi, and welcome to the From MD to Entrepreneur podcast, an inside look on how to become a physician entrepreneur. Dr. Jimmy Turner is the founder of The Physician Philosopher and author of Determined, how burned out doctors can thrive in a broken medical system. He loves empowering physicians to gain the personal and financial freedom they need to create a life they love. He does that through a podcast, books, and coaching. In this episode, he gets raw. He talks about how even though he had a great life on the outside, things were falling apart on the inside, and how he was able to turn that around. Hey, Jimmy, how's it going? It's going well, Pernay. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, you know, um, I have seen what you've been doing, uh, especially through Peter, and I've been super excited to be able to connect and hear your story. We hear you have a book. We'll talk about that shortly. But for the people that haven't had a chance to see you or see your amazing blog, could you give us a short little intro uh, bio of yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, I am an academic anesthesiologist in terms of background. And in uh, November of 2017, started The Physician Philosopher. And uh, that was, you know, originally a personal finance blog. And the, the tagline was, you know, helping doctors defeat burnout with financial independence or fight burnout with financial independence. And so I've always kind of married burnout and financial freedom since, you know, the very first days. And uh, yeah, I guess two or three years back, I kind of transitioned into a, you know, podcasting. And so, you know, it was on money meets medicine and uh, the physician philosopher kind of doing both of those gigs and transitioned into coaching. Uh, so yeah, I still definitely love teaching about, you know, personal finance and entrepreneurship, uh, but I also equally love the, the mindset aspect of things uh, and, and recognize the power of that uh, for people to, you know, deal with their burnout. So I'm all about money and mindset. Those are kind of my two, uh, my two wheelhouses, if you will. Love it. Love it. Uh, so a lot to unpack there. Let's first talk about being an academic doctor and having something on the side. Uh, so do, do you still practice? Yeah, I do. So I still practice, um, you know, right now, three days a week. Um, and uh, last year was two days a week while I was writing my, my book. Uh, but yeah, no, I so I still practice it. And I get this question a lot. It's actually really interesting because every hospital is different. So at Wake, so I'm at Wake Forest in, uh, in North Carolina. And uh, they have a conflict of commitment and a conflict of interest policy. And so basically, they want to know that you're committed to their cause. And that whatever you're doing on the side isn't a conflict of interest for, you know, the patients that you're taking care of, basically. And so since mine's off, you know, kind of in the personal finance coaching space, uh, you know, that doesn't obviously have a direct impact on patient care. And, you know, the conflict of commitment, I went, I went part time to deal with that issue so that on the days that I am working for them, I can be fully committed and focused on that. And so 
I've always done a pretty good job of separating my business from, you know, my work as an academic doc um, and haven't let those two things kind of mix. Uh, and I think that's a mistake that sometimes people make is, you know, burning the candle at both ends, trying to work full time while they're building a side gig. And, and, and I did that at the beginning, you know, working nights and weekends on my, on my blog. And, um, and man, yeah, I traded a uh, physician burnout for entrepreneur, entrepreneur burnout pretty quickly doing that. So I decided I needed to go part-time if I was going to keep doing both of these things. Yeah. And I, I warn people, you know, that entrepreneurship isn't going to, it's not a silver bullet, right? At least initially, you're going to be working harder, right? There's no worse bar- boss than yourself. Right? Yeah. yeah it, it reminds me the uh, the Shark Tank. I think it's Lori Griner who said, uh, you know, like entrepreneurs are the only people who will uh, work 80 hours a week for themselves. They don't have to work 40 hours a week for someone else. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. But I mean, it, it, it's hopefully for some magic future, right? And we'll, We'll talk about that shortly. But, um, you know, one thing that I, I'd love to kind of dig in on, especially because um, you've talked a lot about burnout, you've dealt with burnout. Um, could you kind of uh, give us a brief uh, synopsis of uh, maybe uh, the first like five to 10 pages of your book uh, and how someone, at least from the outside, at least from when I was seeing, just really had it all, really. You were playing golf. You had a successful blog, a podcast uh kids you were making pretty decent money how does someone like you feel burnout yeah so i think that this is pretty common among doctors and and the most thing you know most common thing that i talk about that really resonates with um you know people in the space is something called an arrival fallacy so i basically was you know struggling in my job in terms of like my my direction that i was going i thought i was going to be an assistant program director had that door kind of closed in my face a few times and uh and so yeah it became pretty quick you know, quickly realized that, you know, despite, you know, being the class president at Wake, like I did everything at Wake. So med school residency fellowship on faculty there now, you know, so I was class president, student body president, one of two chief residents, like I was groomed for leadership and, uh, and it just wasn't going to work out, you know, and, and for a variety of reasons. And so that kind of got, you know, stopped in my tracks. Um, so I was still publishing, doing research and teaching and all that stuff. And so I, I realized that I needed to kind of find my value outside of the walls of my department. And so that's when I really kind of poured into my business. And the reason why is because there's this idea that all of us have through training and after training that, you know, once we get there, you know, wherever there is, that we'll be happy. And so Tal Ben-Shahar is a, you know, psychologist um, that basically describes this, this phenomenon as the arrival fallacy. So, you know, you're in medical school and you're like, oh, when I get to residency, it's gonna be better. I'll be an actual doctor. And then you're a resident and you're burned out. And you're like, well, wait, but when I become an attending physician, all these, you know, sleepless hours and nights are going to be worth it. Uh, and then you you finish and for six months, it's better. But then you're like, oh, I'm not as happy as I thought I'd be. So you buy the house and the car and make all the financial mistakes that we talk about in this space a lot. And all of that is an attempt to to get, you know, quote unquote, there. And, you know, as Gertrude Stein would say, there is no there there. Like when you get there, you're like, you know, I'm not any happier than I was. And so doctors are constantly looking for that silver bullet, as you just called it, to try to fix things. And so the natural you know, decision or place that people go to when they're burning out, they're like, you know, I don't feel like I have autonomy or control over my, my, my professional life or my personal life. And so they, they're like, well, you know what, if I had the financial freedom, then, then I'd be able to control everything. Um, and it turns out that financial independence is great. I think it's a fantastic thing to achieve and to work toward, but there's a lot of people will tell you that when you get there, like it's, it's not, it's not that, arrival that you think it will be like there, there is that purpose and connection and identity that you have to have 
um, as a human being and, and just having enough money in the bank to like walk away doesn't give you purpose. Um, and so, you know, you got to start realizing that you're on this journey. But so basically this book walks people through, you know, my journey initially through burnout, um, you know, kind of the tenants or the things that, you know, cause burnout and, um, you know, which is a lack of autonomy, a lack of feeling valued and a lack of perceived competence or imposter syndrome. Like those three things lead to the classic definition of burnout. Um, and so, you know, I kind of marry all of those concepts in the, in the introduction uh, of the book as you, as you just uh, asked for. You know, the, there's a lot of talk of moral injury, right? And the difficulty with blaming the person, right? And the ability for them to come out of it. So what are your thoughts on kind of the systematic issues that are hurting doctors? And is there really a way for them or us to change that? Uh, yes. And, and so I love this conversation. Um, I love the conversation of burnout and moral injury. Um, it's one of my favorite questions to answer. And, and the reason why, so, so my business is named what it's named, the physician philosopher for a reason. I was a philosophy major in undergrad. And so I love cognitive distortions and cognitive errors and like the way that we think. And, um, and so one of them is called a false dichotomy, which is what people are drawing when they're, they're talking about moral injury versus burnout. I don't think it's an either or scenario, a false dichotomy. I think it's a both and. I think the systemic oppression that doctors experience from, you know, broken healthcare, electronic health, you know, medical record systems, insurance companies, and pre-authorizations, and, you know, all of those, um, you know, components of, of moral injury, like that, that causes the systemic phenomenon of moral injury, but the individual experience is still burnout, you know, and yes, it's caused by moral injury. So it's not, it's not a either or like which term is better. Uh, they describe different things. Moral injury is the systemic or systematic phenomenon. Burnout is the individual experience of the doctor who's going through it. And so, you know, to answer your second question, yeah, I absolutely think that we can do something about this. And, um, and so what it's going to take, though, is, is what you and I are passionate about, which is doctors having enough autonomy, probably through financial freedom, to be able to stand up and say no. Um, it's going to take, you know, a, a very large group of us to band together and say, we're not doing this anymore. Um, you know, we have to make these changes and, and this is what's best for patients and what's best for us, most importantly, so that we can take care of those patients. Um, and so I, I do think that it's possible, um, but so much of the, the healthcare landscape has been, you know, sapped up by private equity and these, you know, large uh, organizations or groups of people that have a say, you know, insurance companies and, and the whole lot of them. So it feels like an uphill battle, um, but enough until enough doctors have the autonomy to say, no, I'm not doing this. I, I don't think it'll change. But I do hold hope that that is not the way it will always be. And I find that a lot of people make a binary decision. They're either full-time or, you know, they're already trying to find an exit, try to find a way yeah. to not work in medicine. But there's so there's such a spectrum, right? Just like you did, where you worked part-time. Um, and I, I tell everyone, you know, um, on a real estate company, we're not, we're not here to help you get out of medicine. Uh, you know, for some people we are. But for most people, we think there's a happy medium. And it's probably just like you, probably closer to one to three shifts a week, right? Or maybe a month. But if we're able to give that autonomy and that time back, then you can, you don't have to worry about insurance. You don't have to wor wor do nights. You don't have to do weekends. You can leave all that for other people. Like myself, a couple of years ago, <laughs> I would do everyone's weekends, everyone's nights. You know, I was happy to do that. Uh, but I, I find that with entrepreneurship uh, and uh, even intrapreneurship, you're able to create a life for yourself and then also find purpose in doing that. Yeah, I, I think that it's, um, it's interesting, right? Because it, the goal isn't to, to 
remove physicians from medicine. The goal is to help doctors practice medicine because they want to and not because they have to, right? And so, and that's what every patient in this country wants for their doctor. They want a doctor that wants to be doing what they're doing and taking care of them. Uh, and so I, I agree with you. That balance is going to look different for everybody. Um, you know, there's certainly some people that they just love what they do and they could do it five days a week and be perfectly happy. Uh, and to them, you know, kudos, fantastic. I'm, I'm super happy for them. And there's other people that, you know, would be happier doing, you know, three or four days a week or one or, you know, three or four days a month as you're alluding to. Uh, but, but I think that there's space for that. And, and, you know, there are systemic problems that are going to have to be fixed. But again, like going to, you know, the, the people that have a say, the people that are in charge and saying, hey, by the way, this ACGME, you know, bottleneck that exists where we only fund a certain number of physicians and we have all these people graduating that can't get the residency or, you know, finish a training program. Um, like those aren't caused by doctors. Like we didn't cause that problem. Um, but, you know, we can certainly be a part of the solution to fix it. What are some warning signs that you've seen in people that maybe they're in denial or maybe they just don't know that they're feeling burnt out yet? Um, what are you, uh, how can we either see that in our colleagues or see it in ourselves? So I think that uh, there's a few different things that kind of become obvious. You know, when, when someone comes into, you know, my coaching you know, program or they, they get a consult for, for potential coaching, there's an overriding theme that's pretty, pretty prevalent. And, you know, that would be, um, they've already tried to make a change or they're thinking about making a change. So that's part-time leaving medicine, transitioning jobs. They're, you know, thinking about doing something different. Uh, and oftentimes when people land in that space, they've actually already tried to make a change. They've already tried to do something different and it didn't work. Uh, and so they start realizing like, oh, um, there must be more to this. You know, like it can't be every single job in the country that's terrible. Um, but I can't tell you the number of people that'll change jobs two, three, four times and then finally say, okay, may maybe I need a skill set that I don't currently have. Um, and so that usually comes from a lack of autonomy. And so what that causes is, you know, apathy. It, it causes a, you know, a lack of, um, you know, caring, honestly, it's called emotional exhaustion in the burnout literature, right? There's a the term for that. And then the other thing is depersonalization. When you start treating other people in your life, whether that's a patient or colleagues or family members, when you get home, um, not really as people, but just as like things in your life, you know, so maybe you're getting in arguments more at home. Maybe you just don't really care about patient outcomes anymore. Maybe you don't really care about making that one, you know, person that you're working with mad because um, you're just past it. You're just, you know, completely exhausted. And um, that depersonalization, that phenomenon that you don't really feel like you belong, whether you're at work or at home. Um, those are kind of two really big hallmarks that maybe you're, you're struggling with burnout, even if you don't realize it. And so if someone is interested in entrepreneurship, it seems like, you know, you've done a podcast, you've written a book. Now you've done coaching, you've kind of done a lot of the stuff that people might be interested in, but on the, you know, people are busy. They have their family life. How did you how were you able to start with so much going on in your life? Uh, yeah. So the first answer is that uh, I married a saint. Um, so, <laughs> so my, my, my wife, Kristen, is, uh, is an unbelievable human being. She's a, like when people talk about their better half, like my, my wife is substantially better human being than I am. Um, and so, so you know, I'd, I would be lying if I didn't say that was a huge part of it. Um, but then, you know, the other thing was learning how to negotiate, right? So like I, I had to carve out time for me to be able to work on these things. And so being able to go to my chair, you know, and say, look, you know, when you give me time to do things, I'm a highly productive human being, right? And despite all of the stuff that I'm known for outside of my hospital, all the stuff that we're talking about, like I still publish, you know, I'm going up for associate professor the first year that I can do that in academics, um, which is rare in my department. Um, and so like, I'm still notching all the, you know, 
the things off in my academic side. Um, but the way that I was able to do that was by getting the balance, like the time management that I needed. Like I couldn't work five days a week and then grow this business. And I certainly couldn't, you know, not work at all and do the academic stuff. So, you know, finding that balance was really key for me. Um, but I had to get to like a breaking point, honestly, like I ended up getting, you know, burned out and then depressed and I was, you know, on antidepressants and, you know, uh, you know, seeing a therapist and having a coach and I ended up getting diagnosed with Graves disease. Like I really kind of hit rock bottom and like was really struggling with depression and anxiety, which can often come on the other side of burnout before, like, you know, I like had this giant sign in my face, like, Hey, you got to fix this. There's a problem. And, uh, and so I was like, Oh, I guess I need to, uh, you know, maybe cut back a little bit or figure out, you know? So, um, it was a pretty profound, uh, I had a panic attack on a golf course. And so, of, of all places. And so, uh, so, so yeah, the, the other answer is that I didn't. So like for people that are listening and they're like, man, like entrepreneurship's really burning me out. I would tell you that that like, just to normalize that for people, that's normal. Um, that you, you can absolutely push yourself too far when it comes to entrepreneurship and, uh, you got to find that balance. Those like really, really important, but non-urgent tasks in life, like sleep and date nights with your partner and exercise. And like that stuff matters. And if you ignore it for too long, like you'll pay the price. You know, I really appreciate how honest you were in the book uh, that, you know, you did say that you had these battle with depression, the Graves disease. You know, a lot of the times we as doctors can kind of um, not be, be a little scared or not as willing to kind of deal with our or talk about our issues with mental health or seek help. Was that something that uh, is natural to you? Did you have kind of demons you were fought? fighting to kind of seek help? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think everyone's got certain things that are like their, you know, secret superpowers. Uh, and, and mine have, mine's always been being genuine and transparent. Um, and so, you know, I, I didn't see any good in me not talking about my issues, knowing that like externally, I looked like the poster child of like someone who just gets everything done and everything I touch turns to gold. And like, you know, I'm a highly successful human being. And so I, I didn't really feel like that curated experience was fair for other people when I knew I was struggling, uh, you know, on the outside, everything looked great, but I was a total train wreck on the inside. Uh, and the more that I talked about it, the more that I heard from other doctors who were having a hard time too, um, whether they were, you know, physicians in, in a W2 job or entrepreneurs. Um, and so the, the more that I spoke about it, the more that I talked about it, the more emboldened I became because I realized how important it was for other people to hear that they're not alone in having those issues. Um, and so. And the other thing too, is like, I've got a really strong history of, you know, depression and suicide in my family. Um, and mm -hmm. so because of that, like, I, it was not something that I was willing to like, you know, not get help for. Uh, it was very, like, as soon as I started experiencing that for the first time, I, um, like, I knew, I, I knew I was going to get help because like, I, they, that was not obviously an option. I'm married. I have three kids. Um, and so, you know, when uh, things got bad, you know, I, I, I definitely sought help, but it's hard. It's hard asking for help, you know? Um, and I think that's what a lot of doc doctors struggle with is this idea that asking for help is weakness. I mean, there's a lot of that language in medicine mm -hmm. and, you know, to that person, I tell you that asking for help actually takes a tremendous amount of courage. Uh, and so actually it makes you a stronger person. The fact that you're asking for help, but I think there's a lot of people that don't see that. And so that's why I talk about those things. Yeah. And uh, I love what you're saying that, you know, once you tell other people, a lot of people are like, ah, sheepishly, they'll raise their hand and be like, oh yeah, you know. I've been dealing with that too. I'm just glad I thought I was the only one. And that's why I, I love your book because it, it really makes it okay to talk about this stuff. Someone that 
like you said, on the outside, it looks like they have the perfect life, you know, great kids, you successful academic career, the, you know, golfing. <laughs> I'm not good at golf. Let's not confuse that. I play lots of golf. I'm not good at it. Those are different things. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, just, just going out and finding, because a lot for a lot of us, when we're in the rat race, the financial security or freedom is kind of the end goal, right? To be yeah. able to do what we want when we want, but it, it isn't necessarily a panacea. No, it's not. And, and that, you know, I talk about that in the book as well. Like I got to the point where, you know, I had a half a million dollar business and like I had all the revenue I needed to, to walk away from medicine if I wanted to. And, and I did that working two days or, you know, two days a week on my business. And so like five, five days, like, I mean, it would just be, you know, an exponential amount of growth. And so, um, I got to that point and I had the financial independence through my business, you know, so a lot of people do this in real estate, you know, you're, you're big in real estate, but for me, it was through online entrepreneurship. And yes, I suddenly realized like, oh man, like, uh, medicine provides me a lot of purpose. Um, you know, and so like, I, I started realizing that, that it was not a panacea, you know, like you're saying. Yeah. You know, people are surprised that I still practice, but you know, I, I 0.8 full time. Um, and I probably should decrease it a little bit, but you know, I enjoy it. I, there, there's a reason that I did it for so long. You know, yeah. <laughs> we spent what, 25 years in schooling, uh, <laughs> everything. Student. Yeah. 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 Professional student. But, um, I think it's, it's so important that we're not tying ourselves to a single identity. So, you know, for you, your, your father, your husband, your writer, you're an entrepreneur, uh, and it's so important because a lot of times because we've spent so much time in medicine that all we see ourselves as doctors and, you know, that's, that's good. But when we have this burnout or moral injury, then that helps, that makes us question something that we've dedicated our whole lives to. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's a really good point, Pernay. And, um, and I, for it's, it's kind of like, I, I use the word hilarious, but I really, I guess I really mean interesting. So I, I had a friend who got kicked out of medical school um, when I was a second year student and becoming a physician was his identity. And I saw the downward spiral and the divorce and the depression and everything that he went through. And so I learned that lesson really early, not to make my identity, you know, being a physician. Like I wanted to be really, really good at my job. I want to take great care of patients, be the best doctor I can be, but I didn't want it to be my identity to the extent where like when people ask me what I do outside of the hospital, I'll be like, oh, you know, I'm. I'm in healthcare. And they're like, well, what do you do? I'm like, I work at the hospital. I'm like, well, what do you do at the hospital? I'm like, well, I work in the operating room, you know? And eventually I get to like, I'm a physician. I do anesthesia. And, um, and part of that was like my attempt to like not let medicine be my identity. And isn't it fascinating that I stepped into entrepreneurship and then my business became in a lot of ways, my identity. So I, I let that phenomenon happen in entrepreneurship instead of in medicine. Um, and it took me a few years to even realize that I, I had done that, that like, I was thinking about my business going to sleep. I was thinking about my business waking up. Like it was a primary concern for me. And so I had to kind of reel that back in and be like, no, like I'm a, like you said, I'm a husband, I'm a dad. Uh, you know, like I'm, I'm those things first in those order, in that order. So, um, I, I, I walked that walk, but it wasn't in medicine as interesting as that is. Yeah. And I'm sure from the outside in your business, it looks like a nice straight trajectory to be successful, but I'm sure there was a lot of ups and downs. Uh, and I, I think that's actually what helps you become so successful, not being tied to the outcome of entrepreneurship. 
I get rejected all the time. People ignore my emails and uh, it kind of sucks. I'll ask people to be on my podcast or I'll be a good fit on their podcast. Just silence, you know? And if yeah. I was totally connected to my, to the, the, the from MD to entrepreneur brand, I, I would feel personally dejected or rejected. Yeah. I, I think that's a skill you have to learn. So it took me a long time to realize that like there's there's this one hat that I wear, which is, you know, the personal Jimmy Turner hat, like me as an individual, and then the hat of like the CEO. And, and it actually burned me several times in my business because I'm a people pleaser by nature. And so I wouldn't do what was best for my business because I was worried about hurting other people's feelings. Uh, and so it actually, you know, I, you know, I, I had major mistakes in my business because of that. And so like I had to go through those failures and through those, you know, uh, chasms, if you will, in order to learn, like, no, like you can put the CEO hat on and say like, no, this is not what's best for my business. And, it, and, and actually talking about it, like in that, like objective, like outside, like my business, like you're talking about, you know, Hey, like, no, that's not okay. That's my friend. You can't say that to them. Like, you know, it's like a separate entity. And when you talk about like, no, this is not what's best for the business. Like you're not focusing on the personal aspect of things. Um, and that took me, I'm not going to lie. That took me like a good three years to learn. And, you know, I, I paid, you know, a couple of six figure mistakes, uh, doing that. Um, but, uh, but you're right. Like if you get your identity wrapped up, it becomes personal. And I used to think it was really stupid. People say it's not personal, it's business. But like now I very much understand like, no, really like there's a personal hat and a business hat. And sometimes those two people don't get along. Um, you know, and, and sometimes it's the personal hat that wins. Sometimes it's the business hat. And so, but that, that's a, it's a lesson everybody has to learn in this space. Yeah. Even if you have your own brand, it, it it's its own entity. It's not, it's not you. And yep. even if it says Jimmy Turner Inc, right. That is its own thing. It's not reflection of you. Yep. That's, that's exactly right. Could you, that sounds interesting because uh, a lot of doctors, especially when we're in entrepreneurship, we are pe uh, people pleasers. Could you give us a little bit, I don't know, one of those examples um, when you kind of had some conflict between what was good for the business and trying to people please? Yeah, so it's not uncommon for, uh, <laughs> I, I guess, for, for situations to come up where like someone asks you for something. Um, and so like, you know, the classic examples, like just being like your, your, your calendar is completely full and someone's like, hey can you come write this book for me or like do a guest blog post or like be on my podcast or like, you know, Hey, can I have a, you know, can I have an extra couple of calls? Like, I know I missed the timeline for like, you know, when my coaching calls ran out, like, can, can you extend that? And, um, and sometimes like, you know, it's a perfectly reasonable situation. I'm like, yeah, of course. Like I'm, I'm happy to help you. Like, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, take advantage of anybody, but there are other times where like people will absolutely try to take advantage of you. And you're like, no, like I, I can't give you a couple of extra calls because, you know, you decided to reschedule four times, like, you know, five minutes before your coaching call. No, I'm not going to do that. Like it says 24 hours. I gave you some grace the first two times. And like, no, it's like the fourth or fifth time. So no, those, those calls, they are what they are, you know? And so like those situations come up all of the time in, in business. Um, or, or probably even more common is when someone's like, hey, um, you know, I want you to give this talk. You know, mm. I'm sure you're the same way. Like I talk all over the country. I get asked all the time to speak. And so they'll be like, Hey, you know, I want you to come talk at this conference. And, um, I actually got recently asked to come talk at the, you know, very well-known conference. I won't name it because it's a uh, broadcast live, you know, public. Um, so, and they, they're like, yeah, we want you to come and talk. I said, okay. Um, what's your budget? Which is a question I didn't used to ask, by the way, I learned that too. Um, <laughs> and so they're like, well, 
what do you mean? Like you're an academic physician. We just thought you'd come out and talk. And I was like, I'm not going to fly to the West coast and, and pay for a plane ticket and a hotel room to come provide a talk for you. Uh, when you reached out to me, like, you know, I, I, I can't do that. You know, like my business can't do that because they reached out to my business email. So I can't use like my academic funds at the hospital. Like this is for my business. <laughs> Yeah. And, um, and so I was like, yeah, no, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for thinking of me. But, um, you know, unless there's, you know, expenses paid in an honorarium, then, you know, I don't normally do this sort of thing. Um, but back in the day, like when I first started, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, of course. Like, you know, how, how can I make this work? Like, I want to help this person. And like, they're asking me to talk and I'm going to really go help the people that I'm going to talk to. And I'd say yes to stuff. And it would cost my business money uh, for me to go and provide value to someone else. And so I was like, I mean, it, it took me uh, a long and slow and painful death as a people pleaser to get over that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, at least in the beginning, I'm, we're not saying that say no to everything. Right, right. right. No, yeah, hear, hear me out. Yeah, you're right. 100%. Yeah. Uh, but there's there's a lot of ways to getting paid um, without like a, a, a currency exchange, right? So, you know, I, I know it's kind of looked frowned upon, but exposure, but honestly, like exposure could be huge. Like if Oprah said, hey, Jimmy, I just love what you did for doctors. You want to come on my show? Like, Done. Yeah, like, listening. Right. I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or you know, some I don't know, something. Uh, I don't know. Uh, like some, uh, someone of your friend that's like your hundred percent your exact audience, and they're like, "Hey, you want to come? It's an hour drive, maybe. You know, you yeah. don't have to fly, right? A little bit of your time. You just show up for an hour. You go. You go home, and and we're gonna give you a recording of all your shoot." Right. So you can use yep. that for your little speaker reel and that kind of stuff. So, or a lot of times, um, someone like you, Jimmy, you can convince them to, you guys give out books, right? Oh, yeah. Buy, buy 500 books and I'll come for free, you know? Yeah. No. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and that's the thing is like, you have to pick and choose. You know, I, I definitely, um, I've definitely given, you know, free books away to people. I've, I've absolutely mm -hmm. driven, you know, the hour and a half to Chapel Hill or, you know, two mm -hmm. hours to Asheville mm -hmm. to, to give a talk. So they're, they're not too far from me. Um, and so you just kind of have to pick and choose, but you're, you're hundred percent right. Like if, if the right opportunities come up, um, you know, you're going to jump at the opportunity to get in front of certain audiences. Uh, and, and that's perfectly fine. You just have to know why you're doing it. If you're doing it because you don't want to make someone upset, mm -hmm. right. That's people pleasing. If you're doing it because it's a strategic decision, that's what's best for the business. Like, even if you do it for free, that's fine. You have, you have to know the intention behind which you're making that decision. And for me, very for early on, it was always like I was scared to death of like offending somebody or telling them no or, you know, uh, in some way, shape or form, like, you know, disappointing somebody. Uh, and so so that I guess that is what I'm, I'm you know, kind of alluding to there. But I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. Totally, totally. And <laughs> here's a small trick that uh, I found works with um, a handful of people. Uh, create another email, you know, admin at whatever your email address is, um, and just just send it to that person. Even if it's you on the other end, replying to the email, just having another person, they'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, Jimmy normally gets, and then talking to third person, yep. you know, Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy normally gets expenses covered in a $500 memo, uh, honorarium. I'll be like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, that, yeah that's so, what Jimmy wants. That's so funny. So I, uh, yeah, so I brought um, my sister in as my business manager, yeah. and uh, and she not a people pleaser by like any stretch of the imagination. And so until I learned that skill, like I would absolutely send people to Kristen, and Kristen would be like the bad guy. Yeah. Be like, no, well, this is normally what we expect. Uh, you know, Jimmy doesn't do this. And I'm like, well, Jimmy used to do that. He's just recovering people pleaser. <laughs>
Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's almost like until, until you have a Kristen for yourself. Yeah, no, it's um, a great idea. It really is. <laughs> yeah, you just find it's just like what you said, which your CEO had, right? Now mm. think of your, because your CEO hat, it might be like, yeah, yeah, exposure. Let's do that. You know, put your CFO hat on and <laughs> decide, is this really worth it in terms of resources, time and money? And, you know, we talk about burnout, but you can, you know, you're not protected from burnout as an entrepreneur. You're just as likely, maybe not more, maybe even more, because there's no doubt that you are working on your business pretty much all day. Your back of your brain, your subconscious is thinking of new things. New- 100% of the time. Oh, 100% of the time. Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, this was such a good idea. I have a notepad by my bed to write that yeah. stuff down. I use, and- I use Google Keep, like the, the, note, the notes thing on my phone for the exact same reason. Uh, yeah, I, I actually had to buy a notepad for my shower. That's yeah, like- that's actually a good idea. So, you know, I, I tell people this all the time about entrepreneurship that it's, um, and I, you know, I apologize for offending any general surgeons that are listening, but like, we all got the same advice in medical school, right? Like, like if you can do anything else and be happy, then don't do general surgery. Right. But like for the people that have like general surgery, like it's part of their DNA, like this is just who I need to be. Like they're going to end up doing it anyway, no matter how bad they fight it, or they're going to regret not doing it. And so I think entrepreneurship's the same way. Like I would encourage you, like if you can just go out and do, you know, real estate and, you know, maybe even some like syndications on the side and like make extra cash flow through like those opportunities and, and not be like a quote unquote full-fledged entrepreneur running your own business, I would highly encourage you to do that. But like for the, for those of us that are just wired that way, who need to have, you know, a notepad by the bed and one, you know, by the shower, (laughs) like you're going to be an entrepreneur and you could fight it, but like you're, you're going to eventually head that route. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's always, you know, it's a, when I was talking to Peter and I interviewed him, he, you know, he sees an, he sees a problem and most of us would just be like, oh yeah, someone should do that. But his brain works different. He's like, okay, how can I make this a business? And that's why yep. he has like 18 of them. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. P- Peter is, Peter is a prolific uh, business creator. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, and you know, the other thing partners with people. And that's why I've been able to be so fortunate. I know you've worked with him in the past and he's just such a great resource for that. And he believes that really like the, you know, the raising tide, the rising tide just improves everyone. He's willing to give up a piece of his company to help and work with other people. I I can't, I can't say enough about the importance in the entrepreneurial space of having, you know, a growth mindset like that, that the pie can get bigger for all of us, um, as opposed to viewing the pie as a fixed piece that, you know, if, if you're doing one thing, then you're, you're taking, you're taking a piece or a cut of mine, um, that competitive kind of mindset. Uh, and I think Peter really, really excels at that. Um, that's one of my, one of my favorite reasons I love working with that guy and you too, Pernay, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, uh, any last bits that you'd want to leave people from the book? Um, of course they need to pick it up. It should be required reading for everyone in medicine. Uh, but any, any little last bits of, uh, nuggets of wisdom? Yeah, you know, toward the end of the book, I give kind of some powerful paradigms to think through. And and I think a few of those really, really do apply to entrepreneurship. And I actually share some of my failures and some of my missteps in in the online entrepreneur space. Um, but we touched on it a little bit, but I, I really do think that in order to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to flip the script on failure. You have to view failure as an opportunity. Uh, you know, you know, as they say, like either get what you want or the lesson that you need. And, you know, I, I think that that was the key moment in my business when I went all in. I said, you know what? I could fall flat on my face a hundred times. 
but you know, if I keep getting up and I keep getting up and I keep getting up, eventually this is going to work out. Um, and too many people don't even start a business because of the fear of failing because in medicine, like as a doctor, most of us hate it. We're perfectionists. And so the idea of failing in something else is not something that we're willing to tolerate. And if you could just learn, you know, like Thomas Edison, you know, who, you know, didn't fail 10,000 times, he found 10,000 ways that didn't, you know, that didn't work. Right. Um, there's so much to be learned from those opportunities. Um, and so, you know, I talk about that, uh, you know, as well in the, at the end of the book, but I just want to mention that on this specific podcast, since it's for entrepreneurs, like if I could give you one tidbit, like you've got to learn to love failure. Yeah. Uh, last question, Jimmy. Uh, if there's something that you wish you would have spent more resources on, either time or money, when you first started entrepreneurship, we always hear about people. They're like, oh, I wish I didn't do this or I wish I didn't do that. But what is something you wish you did more of or spent more time or more money on when you were starting? So for me, um, I'll get really concrete about this. Um, so I started out as a blogger and, and blogging's great. Don't get me wrong. Like the written word and, you know, search engine optimization, like that can be a really successful way to grow your business, but it's going to take a very long time because search engine optimization does take a while. And so for me, there was a major pivot in my business when I got behind a microphone. And I think there's an even bigger pivot for people that are comfortable, not only in front of, in front of a microphone, but in front of a camera. Um, if you can, you know, use one or both of those mediums, people will grow the ability to know, like, and trust you so much faster than through written word. Um, and when you think about the, you know, the kind of professionals that I was dealing with, which are busy, overwhelmed, burned out doctors, like they don't want to be reading blog posts. They want to listen to podcasts while they're driving to their, you know, their office or the hospital because they have so little time. They already feel overwhelmed. Right. And so I, I probably would have pivoted to podcasting and or, you know, a video channel, YouTube, or, you know, whatever it might be called in the future, uh, you know, because I'm not going to pretend that YouTube's always going to be there. <laughs> but I would have, I would have gotten to my voice or to a video format faster. Um, that's probably what I, and I think that would, would have been a little more of a catalyst on the, on the business. For sure. For sure. Well, Jimmy, if there's someone that wants to reach out to you, coaching, or just wants to talk to another doctor that's been through what potentially they're going through, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah. So, you know, we've got, you know, free resources on the Physician Philosopher podcast. You know, they can always go and check that out. We talk about money and mindset on there. And if they're looking to book a consult call or learn more about coaching, they can do that at thephysicianphilosopher.com. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, they can find the book everywhere, Amazon, all that good stuff. Yep. So the book's called Determined, How Burned Out Doctors Can Thrive in a Broken Medical System. And you can pick it up on Amazon, you know, Kindle, paperback, hardback, in all, all the different formats. Cool. Thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on, Pranay. Appreciate you, man. Bye. See ya. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you have any questions or would like to follow me, please sign up for my newsletter at fromd.com.